Hey guys, I'm Desi Garcia and welcome to the Candle in a Dark Room podcast, where I show you that no matter what darkness you've been through, you can find the light within to guide yourself out. Where I tell you that it's okay not to always be okay and that it's okay to ask for help. We shed the code of shame and reclaim our power by telling our truth. I sit down with experts and survivors themselves to discuss all things trauma and healing. This podcast is to help you all remember that you are not alone in your healing journey. We are also now a nonprofit foundation that offers resources to survivors and their loved ones. Come listen and see that no matter how dark things may seem, you can find the light within yourself. And if you're not a survivor yourself, you can still be a light in someone else's darkness. Be a voice for the voiceless and be a candle in a dark room. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Candle in a Dark Room. And thank you all for being here. This is Desi, and welcome to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. Today, my special guest is Rachel Garrett. Rachel Garrett is a former high school history teacher, a mother of two, a licensed CASA, which is a court advocate, a foster mom, currently in a Master of Child and Adolescent Development Psychology program. She refuses to look away from the pain and trauma youth experience, and she stands in solidarity with all of those advocating, fighting for a better world for kids to grow up in. Thank you so much, Rachel, for being here. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Of course. So I want to just have you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about yourself, your background, and then what led you to do what you do now? Yeah, that's a great question. I So I don't know how far back you'd like me to go, but basically growing up, I grew up with all sisters and I've moved maybe 11 or 12 times growing up. We kind of lost yeah. track, <laughs> but yeah, I met my husband when we were 15 and he... I basically have known him my whole life or half of my life now. And after college, I became a history teacher. I taught at Lehigh High School and I taught and coached track and cross country for a few years. And I have always been drawn to youth and working with youth. And I found so much fulfillment there. Our little family moved. And so I stopped teaching at that point. And we also had kids. So we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Okay. And I had really missed just working with youth in that capacity after having kids. And one day I randomly stumbled upon the CASA program, which is a court-appointed special advocate. And I started doing research on it. I'm like, this seems something like I would really love and want to do. So yeah, I did all the training and did that for, I'm still currently licensed as a CASA, but I, my first case was a teenage girl and that really opened my eyes basically as a CASA for those who aren't familiar with it. You're advocating for kids within the system, particularly with foster care. And you're basically their voice as you communicate, you meet with them like once a week and get to know them pretty well. And then you can kind of communicate how they're doing to their lawyer and then in the court realm so that they are represented. And because oftentimes kids don't really have a voice in what's happening and how mm-hmm. they're really doing. And so you talk to like their teachers or therapists, you talk to all of the important individuals in their life. And then that really opened my eyes between teaching high school and becoming a CASA, opened my eyes to the whole fostering realm. Growing up, I didn't have much exposure and I never probably would have anticipated doing what I'm doing now. But I remember leaving after working with her and talking to my husband, like, 
this is something that I just feel so pulled to. And so we were debating, like, do we have another child? Like, what, what, what's our trajectory here? And we just kept coming back to this thought of like, there are so many kids who need that additional support and love at this time. And we can do that. We can offer that and help these families. Yeah. And so, and your husband is on board with this. He he's kind of just gone along and been on yeah, board with how you I mean, it originally started with my idea at first. He was like, Whoa, like, I mean, there's just a lot of stigmas around fostering. Right. And, and he didn't have much exposure growing up either. So um, I think he actually joked. So he's really like business-minded and he's suggested that I do a TED or not a TED talk, suggested that I do a Shark Tank presentation. <laughs> like, like he's like put together because I have done all this research and have so much like between these years of working with you, these experiences and, and talking with lots of different families who are currently fostering and and so he's like, I would love to hear more about like all the details, like the logistics, like how would this look for a family? And so I'm like, yeah, totally going to do that. So I put together this little PowerPoint. So if any of your listeners want, oh my God. It, I'm I happy want to spend you. Yes, it. Yes, <laughs> I seriously would love to have that because I think that that's so important. And we'll get to that more when you talk more about your um, fostering, but I think youth are so neat. Like, like we need more people to be more involved with youth right now. And I, like you said, there's so many stigmas with it. And I think that's your presentation. I think bringing that to light, I think would be super helpful for many people who don't know any of these facts. Yeah. And just like the ins and outs. And I think there's a lot of narratives out there, but holding those to actual facts of what's happening and what that entails. And anyway, so we, that night we sat down and went over all those things and it kind of just, it seemed almost surreal. Like this, this could actually really happen. We can make this, this work. And so one other thing that really heavily influenced kind of our trajectory is we left the religion that we were, were raised in. And so I think that that changed our trajectory and our narrative. I don't know how much you want me to talk about that, but. Honestly, I, we are open. I want you to talk about whatever you feel cool to talk about. I love to kind of know the why, the what got you here, because I think that's important for people okay. to kind of see that and how that changed and where that changed. Okay. So yeah, go so, so my husband and I, in our like mid late twenties, we went through this big deconstruction with faith and religion. And we felt just by nature of living in like the heart we're the center of where this religion is stemmed or like the headquarters, like culturally, we received a lot of just like rejection or felt like, I don't know, kind of a lot of judgment. And, and I think that that has given me so much empathy for other individuals who don't feel like they have a place, don't feel accepted mm -hmm. for who they are or their experiences. And that really softened my heart and also just changed the nature of our trajectory of our family. Like we weren't abiding by like this, this narrative that we needed to buy, like to, I don't know how to describe it. We, we weren't trying to fit this narrative any longer based on mm -hmm. what an outside source was telling us to do. And right. anyway, so I think a mixture of all of these complex factors of like softening our hearts and opening our minds and hearts to this possibility. And then also just my love for youth. We just felt really called to this area. And so, yeah, we ended up doing the training and by nature of COVID, a lot of it was online. So it was really neat because we were able to do that together and listen together. We'd go to the park with our kids and like have our little ear earphones in. And we were just listening together and talking about some of the content that was being taught because you have like all the paperwork, but you also have this training, which I think is so fantastic. It's basically. Yeah, that's what I wanted to know about. Yeah. Yeah. How does the training go? Because I don't think people understand kind of the steps of becoming a foster parent. So can you yeah. kind of go a little bit in that and how you guys did that? 
Yes. So you first, I mean, you'll reach out and you'll talk to like a representative. We went through Utah foster care. There's lots of different independent Mm -hmm. agencies or organizations you can go through. So we just did some research and talked to different people that had experience here. And this is where we felt was just going through Utah foster care. So yeah, you do lots of paperwork. You have a a, like a two month span of trainings. And I loved these is similar to the CASA trainings where you talk about childhood trauma, you talk about the influence of how these adversity and trauma impacts behavior and child's brain. And you talk about ways to navigate the bio families and how to support them and resources available. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's really powerful. And I, and basically just really good parenting tips and skills. It helped me so much with our other two kids that we had at the time too. I, we just apply in all, in all aspects. And so yeah. And then uh, let's see. Oh, you do a home study where someone will come into your home and evaluate. You have a checklist that you have to meet and making sure like for safety protocols and you have to do like fingerprints, background checks. That, I mean, just, and you have to have a few people write letters of recommendation who know you. So they do a really thorough check, which is really important as you're working with a really vulnerable population. So yeah, it um, okay. took us because of COVID, again, we were able to do it at a faster rate because a lot of it was pre-recorded online mm-hmm. and virtual. So, so you don't have to go like to a lot of the classes or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. So we uh, finished at the end of 2020 and yeah, then we became licensed in January. Wow. So tell me about, so like you, like you said, you wanted to help the youth. What specifically made you decide to do foster care? instead of like adoption or things like that? Why did you decide to do foster care itself? That's a really great question. I, I think a big thing, there's just a discrepancy in like resources that are available for families. And there are a lot of families that that can use extra help and support, but to continue to keep those kids with their families, if that's the best situation. And so we wanted to be part of that process and helping reunite families and support those families. We also said like that we're open to adoption if they're like, it came to a point where that's what was deemed necessary, but our main priority is just reunification and, and loving these kids as long as we, we can and until they need to be reunited with their families. And so a big thing that I think between teaching and then my work as a CASA, just seeing some of the systemic issues that, that mm-hmm. are some of the roots of what's happening in society. And then also the lack of resources that I think that there's a lot of parents that if they had those resources, they could do an incredible job and, and sometimes just need that extra boost or that extra help. And so I think that a lot of people, when they think of foster care, they think of kids being in abusive homes Mm. and their parent or parents being drug addicts and then being taken away, very traumatic, big stories. But what you're saying is sometimes it's more, it's just, they don't have the resources to maybe take care of them and need that additional help. And that's kind of what puts them in your house and your position. Yes. And, and there are cases where the parents' rights are terminated and that's in the best interest for everyone. And that's mm-hmm. necessary and needs to happen. So I think there's lots of different realms here, but I think that there's a lot of parents that just don't have the skills, never had the knowledge or information on how to be a good parent. And innately, again, this is not like in the extreme circumstances. There are extreme circumstances where like it is not feasible or appropriate 
course of action to continue to keep that child in that home. But for some parents, like with their specific placement now, it's been so beautiful to witness the transformation that this father has made and the connection that his kids have with him and to be able to just be that space, to hold space for them all and to, I don't know, be that soft landing place as they try and make the necessary adjustments and changes. And so those are kind of the situations that we're, that we've had experience with, but we've also worked with kids that the parents aren't even in the picture and that Mm. their parent parental rights may be terminated. And so that's, I think that that's what I was going to say also is I think, at least for me, I remember thinking at first before I, you know, looked into more of this, that foster care is where they come temporarily to kind of see if you're going to permanently have the kids. And I think that that's some of the situations because, you know, sometimes they aren't going to be reunited with their families. But I think, like you said, a few minutes ago, is that's not what your goal is. Your goal is to reunite them with their families to hold, you know, if that's in the best interest with that for them is to reunite them with their families, not try to take them from them. And I think that's mm-hmm. where people kind of get confused is like, well, what if I take a foster, I take foster kids. Does that mean I have to adopt them? Thing, things like that. So yeah, I think that yeah. that's where some of the confusion comes in with people is they don't realize it's just at most, it's a, it's supposed to be a temporary situation. Right. So that way they can get healed and work on their right. stuff and get better. Okay. Right. And in the paperwork before, like, it's just in that whole process, they do ask you, like, there's some people who are like, who come in and say they want to foster to adopt. And so they'll take the cases where that's going to be the reality. And then that's there's some women who say we are exclusively want to foster. And then there's some like us that are in the middle range that we um, are. Yeah. The goal is to open either way, but we're open if needed. And so they are really selective in like the the placement so that they can minimize the amount of trauma for the child and the removal process from different homes. So, okay. So obviously you can't talk about, you know, you know, your kids or anything, but can you Mm -hmm. kind of talk about the experiences that you had? Cause you've had two foster sets, right? You had already another foster child or children. And then now you have two more. Yes. So as I told you before, um, in our, and like in the Salt Lake area, we're one of five families that would take children that are older than like the age of one or two. And um, there's a really big need for older children. And then in addition to that, generally the older the child is, there's the higher the possibility that there's a sibling. So we've had two different placements. One was just respite. So if there's people who want to help, there's something called respite where you're helping. They're already in a foster placement, but then you provide temporary, like a home for them while either the family's gone or needs extra assistance or something. So that's a possibility if you want something really short-term, but our current placement, we have two teenage boys and yeah, I, did you want me to kind of talk a little bit about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk about how this experience has been. Cause I know you have shared a lot on social media about, you know, the emotions behind it. And mm-hmm. I, and I love how you're vulnerable with that of like how hard it is and how you've had a, you know, you set their room and you were trying to figure out what type of things to buy them and kind of go through that process of, of how you prepared. And how yeah, you've been doing it so yeah. far. I think beforehand, so we had taken in younger children that were closer to our kids' age. And then we got a call for this placement, which was older kids. So there's quite a, a gap between our younger two. And so Carson and I were like, And you only had a few days, I remember, because because we were yes. supposed to record. Yes. And I remember it was like a Thursday or Friday, and you were like, yes. They're coming Monday. So you literally yes. had like the weekend repair for yes. us. Little kids to two teenage boys. <laughs> I know. That's, <laughs> that's a huge dump. So it's a whirlwind. And they call you and they're like, okay, you need to let us know like ASAP. And then it the whole 
transition is so rapid and so fast and it's life-changing for everyone involved. And so Carson and I have found that it's really beneficial to have a lot of these important conversations up front so that when we do, they get the call, we're like, okay, here are some of the checklists of things that we know will be really conducive in this environment. And then those things that were like, for example, if a child has excessive medical needs, like I, because I have Finn and crew, like I can't be in a hospital all day. So like there's things like that, that we're like, right. we'll have to manage. And anyway, so when we got this call, we're like, whoa, this is like outside of the age parameters we were thinking. But then the more we heard about it, the more I'm like, this could be right. So we went back and forth. Like one day I'm like, yes, like let's do this. And Carson was like, okay, I'm a little worried. Like, I mean, we're just taking two older teenage boys, like, and something that's kind of neat with the older children, those especially teenagers is you have the opportunity to meet in person sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to meet them and that like right from that moment after we met them we're like done like this is something that we you feel that connection do and yeah and we're able to meet the bio family which was really wonderful because for me I feel like a big part of this process is being a support to them as well and to keep that connection really positive and healthy so but yeah, so we got the call. So you were preparing and <laughs> doing yes, all the preparing. And, yes, and I'm like, okay, now we need to transform this room. And I, I'm i in like little kid toddler mode. So I'm like, okay, what? And I grew up with all sisters. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm it's outnumbered. It's the opposite here. of what yes, you're used to. Yes. <laughs> so I went to the store. I was like trying to gather things to make their room. And from getting them, like trying to meeting them and getting to know some of their interests and like, what would they really like? And so I'm just trying to be really mindful of giving them an individuality, but they're also their each other's support system. So yeah, I got some of their favorite snacks. I went and got like all the bathroom, like necessities that you would commonly use so that basically they didn't have to ask for the basic things and that they would know that they're welcomed here and that we were waiting and anticipating their arrival. We wrote them a little note and put it in their room and put like a just making them get the stuff to make them feel comfortable yeah just like just just getting yeah and I think just getting stuff to make them feel comfortable like you said the bathroom things and things that is probably going to be hard to come into a a house you don't know strangers Mm -hmm. you don't know and ask for your needs and so a lot of times I feel like they don't ask for their needs they kind of just deal with whatever they have and so I think it's so great that you put yourself in that situation of them. Okay. What would they need at this age? What would they, and like you said, you put candy bars in their room. Like, I just think that's so cute. And so such a sweet thing because you really were mindful of what their needs were going to be as they're in their age group too, not as, you know, toddlers that you've taken care of in the past. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So, so so then what? um, So let's see. Yeah. We prepared everything. And I tried to just make like the style of like really neutral in their beds. And I got them, I wanted to get them their own towels and sh- like clean sheets and everything that they could just have as their own. And then went to the store. Another thing is food. Like it's, it's pretty common for children who've experienced trauma in any form to have some sort of food insecurities, whether they didn't have enough growing up or being, especially in a new environment, like you said, being open to ask about different foods or like when you're hungry or just all of the things. And so we just, we went to the store when the first week that they came and picked out some of their favorite snacks and have like a little snack basket in their room. So they know that food's always available, that they'll, they'll never mm-hmm. go without and discovering some of their favorite foods and giving them options and having meals together. But we also tried to do, we found that we've done it like a formal route and then an informal route. And we found the informal route is what opened them up more. Like they felt more comfortable. So we kind of transitioned okay. a little bit that way or I'll bake something and I'll, I always just text some pictures like, okay, I made this, would you guys want this? And and they'll be like, yeah. So like, I'll bring it up to them and yeah. 
we'll talk or, or they'll come down and we'll talk and stuff. And but that's awesome. So like you said, the food insecurities of that actually have feeling safe to ask you like, Hey, yeah. I'm so hungry. Can I have food? Cause mm-hmm. I think, like you said, a lot of times they wouldn't, they would just kind of, you know, sit there and wait until the next meal is mm-hmm. offered to them. So I mm-hmm. love that you have like snacks in their room and you have, you know, all of those things available for them so they can feel like it's, you know, they feel like it's their own home to where they can get what mm-hmm. they need when they need it. So I think that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about, well, actually, first I want to go in about how this has been for you and your family emotionally from teenage boys, because again, not only are they boys, not only are they older, and not only are they teenagers who are going through, you know, hormones and all the changes and all the teenage stuff, like which, you know, teenage is a really tough age as it is without the trauma. So how have you guys been dealing with that and navigating that? Hey guys, quick ad break. So as you know, Candle in a Dark Room supports body positivity and self-love. In some cases, that involves body enhancement and changes. We absolutely support whatever helps you feel your best and most confident self, even if that means changing something. Our good friend, Dr. Hallen, is an experienced plastic surgeon who is highly dedicated to providing superior patient care. What we love most about him is his heart. He truly cares about his patients, their well-being, and enjoys helping individuals feel their best. Dr. Howland specializes in many procedures, such as breast augmentation, mommy makeovers, Brazilian butt lifts, and so much more. He is one of the most meticulous and talented surgeons in Utah. If you are looking for a surgeon that will have your best interest in mind, as well as top quality service, we highly recommend Dr. Howland. He's in Draper on 11762 South State Street, Suite 220, and his phone number is 801-571-2020. Tell him that Desi from Candle in a Dark Room sent you. We are so grateful for Dr. Howland and his business. They have been great sponsors for Candle in a Dark Room. So go check them out now. That's a really great question. Well, teenagers sleep a lot. So we've adjusted like our family system a little bit, but for the younger two, like they'll wake up first thing in the morning. And so we have like a few solid hours where it's just, we're just doing our normal routine. And then we found activities that everyone will enjoy. And even though there's like a big age gap, I don't know if there's like commonality in some of the gender or interests, but like arcades, skateboarding or riding bikes around the neighborhood, Mm -hmm. a trampoline, get air type of situation, all those things, like all of them loved. And so we've been able to do those things together. My goal is to just do something during the day that we are either getting outside or just connecting or moving. And I've been trying to be mindful of like giving them space because they're processing a lot but also showing that we're here and we are wanting to just like wrap our arms around them and include them in our family dynamics. So been actually has really that, be- how has that been emotionally for you oh, to watch? I, I think one thing about this is I feel like I've always had to be on, like my mind is always going, my heart's always going like, how can I do? What am I seeing? I mean, all of the things and, and being really mindful of, or just being in tune with how they're feeling and their experiences. But also when kids process trauma, it's, it's on the go. Like you, it's not going to be like this formal setting that you're going to sit down and talk about things. So like just always being ready and prepared. And I've tried to do things with each of the kids individually too, to give them their own time. 
and I get to know them more on an individual level. But I would say between all these things, like it takes a toll on you emotionally for sure. And, yeah. and it's been the most beautiful and powerful, but also heartbreaking experience because you're witnessing this healing of trauma up close. And yeah. also when we go to meet the bio family for visits a few times a week, holding space for that family and what they're feeling like, I can only imagine what it'd feel like for my kids to be somewhere else that I didn't, didn't know. Yeah. And, and, and that pull or that longing to want to be the parent that you haven't been, but trying really hard. I'm just holding space for all of these really big things. And, and also have you guys what- had vulnerable conversations with them and when have they opened up like any type of vulnerable situations? And when that does happen, do you give advice? You more just listen. How do you navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question. Most of the time as we've met the first week, it was like silence. There weren't very many things said. And I, we just like continually try to show up with consistency and love and also just patience because there's no, you can't put a time limit on healing and trauma and the experiences. And this is right. a really big movement, but as I, we talked about this before, but as we talk, as we continue to show up, I just slowly, you just see like the layers just come down just a little mm-hmm. bit. And, and this last week has been so beautiful because yeah, they'll share things with us. It's like, Oh my gosh, like to see their heart or their personality, their aspirations, their dreams, or also to hear like the heartaches. I, I just love them so much already. And one, I know one thing people say is like, I can't ever foster because my heart couldn't take that or, or like I can't get attached. That's a big, that's thing. where honestly, I, we mean, you have talked about how my husband and I talked about fostering for a couple years. And honestly, that's where my struggle comes in because yeah. I do get very emotionally attached because what, especially cause I I'm a rescuer and I'm trying to like yes. help and save and, you know, trying to do everything I can in that aspect aspect. And so that would be my fear is like, well, what if I have to, I fall in love with them and have to give them back, even yeah. though I know that's best for them. That's like, I know I'm gonna have to deal with that heartbreak. So yeah, like talk about that. That is very valid. And I have already cried a few times just knowing because I love them so much already. But I also know this is the way to do it is like to love unconditionally. But there's going to be the grief, there's going to be that heartbreak and that loss in some ways. But I just keep trying to think of the big picture of just like, but I can always love them. And I hopefully will be able to show up for them in some of these milestones in their future. And also what a beautiful celebration for this family to reunite. And so trying to remember that, but all those feelings are very valid. And I, yeah, and there's also with fostering in general, like you never know the timeline, you never are guaranteed the duration, you just don't know. And so for me, I just have tried to take away the expectations. Like we will just openly love unconditionally as long as we are asked. And then we'll just that next step, we'll process that together. And I was talking to my therapist the other day and she said, what a beautiful thing for your kids, like Finn and crew to be able to navigate that together to help them with that processing that loss together. I was just going to ask you that. How are you planning to process that loss for, for your kids to understand? How are you planning on navigating that? And what have you prepared for, for your kids? Because of course, kids get attached to kids so easily. And so even though they're teenage kids, they're already having that attachment of like older brother feeling and all of that. I think something that's beautiful that kids often do, particularly really young kids is just, they just love openly and like, they'll just like pass on. Right. I think we, one big thing. And again, like we're still in the trenches and navigating this and I'm sure it'll be like case by case, depending on placements and people and stuff. But 
we've just been trying to be really transparent and open with them throughout this whole process. Our five-year-old um, has grasped it more. Our three-year-old still like, it's still, understand. Yeah, yeah, still something that he's not fully, I don't know, understood, but our, particularly with our oldest, like we're really um, transparent. And so he'll ask questions and he's, we're also just trying to help him just continue to ex- talk through and express his emotions, like any, throughout mm-hmm. any experience. And we're hoping that we can just continue to transfer that over to bigger things like that you described with death or loss, or like when we went to, for Memorial Day, we went to the cemetery and talked about when we recently lost my grandpa and those kinds of things, like just having those conversations, I hope will be helpful. But I mean, when the time comes, I don't know what their responses will be, but I'm hoping that we'll openly, I don't know, openly embrace whatever comes. So. So I asked you this earlier before we started recording, but I think this is huge. One, because the stigma of it, it's, you know, the, I think that that so many people have so many different thoughts on it. And for me, even myself, because I'm a trauma survivor, you know, as you know, physical sexual abuse, I am very protective of my children. Who are they around? All that. And so again, fostering has always been, I feel like I, for some reason, I feel like God has put that on my heart for a really long time. And it's something I... I've almost tried to like push away, but I feel like it's continued more and more to kind of like come into my life. But my fear is that I want to be like how you said, I don't want just the babies. I don't want, even though that would be amazing, that would be awesome, but I don't want just the two and younger, but it's the, it's the youth. It's the adolescent age that is needed. They're the ones that need the love. They're the ones that need the attention. And, you know, even for adoption, like you look at it, that's why so many kids that are past the age of like six or something like that are stay in the system because people don't want the older ones. They want the younger ones and it's, and it's heartbreaking. And, but my, again, my fear is bringing in teenagers who've been through trauma because that, that may have been physical trauma. That may have been sexual trauma. Maybe they saw physical abuse and saw things. So like, what made you be okay with getting in the teenagers, especially having to such young, like at such a young age? That's a great question and something we're asked a lot and also judged for a lot <laughs> because oh, really? just the, the general nature, right? Like there's a lot of worry and it's, it comes from a, like a really valid place because Carson and I had a really just frank conversation. Like our job is to protect Finn and crew. Like that's our responsibility. Right. You don't have anyone else to do that for them and right. that will be our top priority. And so something that I don't think people fully know and something that I opened my eyes to in the foster like application processes you have like this series of paperwork that you go through like all sorts of behaviors medical concerns sexual behaviors everything that you can think of and then you go through and say what are you comfortable with taking on as a family and what are you not at this point so there's anything you can possibly think of is probably on this paper and that was for me that was really hard because I'm like if I didn't have kids my answers would be very different but right, with of course. younger kids, like I wanted to be really changes a lot. What that look like, yeah, because as you mentioned, I'm and just through my research in my grad program, which as a caveat has helped me so much understanding how how trauma impacts behaviors in the brain, and that's helped me so much. But I, Carson, and I just had really open conversations of like, what will this look like, and what are we okay with, and and then when you get a call for the placement, you also can ask as many questions as you want about anything. And I actually went one step further and talked to their caseworker who knew them personally, and then we moved forward with like meeting. We just try to do all of the precautions of just meeting getting all the information and yeah in this specific situation that the trauma was was low risk and they didn't exhibit any behaviors that were worrisome that we were worried about with our kids 
And so there's like little, little things like that, that you can take precautions. And so mm -hmm. it lots of different steps yes, to take different before ways you, make you have more control or more agency in that way. And again, I mean, like you won't know everything fully, like with any situation, right. home, but taking those precautions. And that's where I mentioned, like always being on, it's just being present, being creating that structure, that system so that we're always really aware, but we also meeting them and seeing their personalities and then getting them to see our boys and we can kind of see how they interacted. And those kinds of things were really helpful too. But there were some situations that when I talked to the caseworker, I'm like, yeah, we wouldn't be open for that. Even though I love teenagers, but like there's some situations that we just couldn't do, but this one, we just felt so good about. Um, and it just was an anomaly of a situation and yeah, just has worked with our family dynamic, but I definitely want to say like, I validate those concerns, but at the same time, like you have for anyone who's interested, like you never have to say yes to anything you don't want to. Mm -hmm. Other than that, what you just explained right now, what are the other stigmas and things that you feel like are inaccurate from what people say about foster care? That the, I don't know, sometimes people project like parents' decisions onto the children and say like the children were bad, but it's never the child's fault ever for the abuse that's happened to them or what's happened to them. And I, I, I'll probably get emotional about this, but like these kids are just like any other child that they need love mm -hmm. and support and just should be heard. And through our experiences with working, we've had, we've had a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and now a 12 and 14-year-old thus far. Mm -hmm. And in all of our experiences, like these kids are beautiful souls and have experiences that maybe other kids are their same age may not have had, but they, mm -hmm. they love all the things that their peers love and they want to be accepted. And they're still children and they yes, still have yes. pure hearts and yes, all like you would, I, I would take when we had two younger kids, we'd go to like the zoo or the park and you would never know. And yeah. I think it's just the label. I even felt, I really try hard not to even like use like foster youth when we're with them or like foster child, because I don't want them to have like that label, like that identity. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. I think that's, a, I, I mean, if you meet a, somebody who was in foster care and they were a child, like I'm a foster child yeah. or I'm a, and that's what I feel like they turn that into their identity. And so, yeah, I agree. I, I love that. You don't, you try not to point that out because you don't want that to be attached to them. You don't want that to be a label if stuck they, to them. If want that to be their identity, then I will embrace that. But I always just want to be, I always ask them first, like, what would you like me to call you? And, and how would you like me to address you? And all these things in these situations. And how, how, what are some options or like, what are some ideas that you've had to call them other than foster like child? Um, well, I mean, quite frankly, like when I'm making appointments for some of these kids, I'll just say my child or my son needs this, or my daughter needs this. Okay. Uh, when we're out in public, I'll just introduce them and just with their name, I won't like say, say why who they are and, and legally like you're, yeah, we're not supposed to identify or show pictures or anything like that publicly. Right. So we keep that all really private, but like when I'm meeting my family or something, we'll just introduce them with their names and stuff, but okay. limited. So Oh, good. So tell us about what kind of your future plans are. Is it something you've can, you continue that you want to, you feel like it's still something you want to do for a long time? Is this something that you have maybe thought about looking into adopting now that you've done this more? Yeah. What are your guys' kind of long-term plans in this? That's if you have any. Question. I don't, I, we don't know fully. I think between my education with pursuing my master's in this realm, I hope that'll open up more opportunities to continue to advocate and educate in a larger setting and, and maybe help provide 
or create resources. But I feel like right now, like we're just getting this front row seat to all of these possibilities and learning and seeing the holes, like where there are holes that need to be fixed. And I know for certain that I want to continue to advocate and educate and help to create change with regards to youth and trauma. And I usually will, like with my research, I'll create content and either put it on TikTok or Instagram or some social media platform that people can share or use as resources. I would love to, once I like get like the, my official degree with that credibility on top of that, would love to either like create an organization or work either from like a government level, some, some kind of advocacy that way by using the research and creating solutions. I love that. So I we'll see awesome. um, with regards to fostering. Well, we just, we told Carson, I have this, I don't know, this thought or system that we'll just do it placement by placement. Like if we need to take a quick break to reevaluate with our family and right. our property or whatever, then we'll just, we're not going to commit anything long-term of we'll just do it step-by-step. Step. So I don't know yeah. what we hold, but right now I feel like this is where we are supposed to be. That's awesome. And for your grad program, what, mm-hmm. other than your research and research and all that, what was your, what has been your plan to do with that? Like when um, you graduate? Is that why you did it is to open an organization and things like that? Or was it really just kind of just to get the education? What was your reason um, to start that? Both. I love learning. I love learning so much. And I found that this information, this content um, aligns perfectly with a lot of things I'm doing in my life right now. And I feel like it has helped me so much to understand the science and different, I guess, just the research behind development, brain growth, trauma, and parenting and how that impacts. I, I firmly believe like we will change the world when we start changing childhoods and, re- and reduce right. trauma for kids. And, and it's really children are such a vulnerable population in that they are, they don't have much control of where they go and have yeah. limited power with their voice because they're children. And I, and I want to change that. And hopefully we can, I don't know, I'd love to just be part of the effort of creating more healthy environments for children to grow and heal and not experience or be victims of this, this abuse and trauma. So, yeah. Have you ever thought about doing like a webinar or doing anything like that to, to have maybe a class on some of this education and research that you've done? That's a great idea. Yeah. I'm open to so many different possibilities. I had someone reach out to me and ask if I would educate in like the juvenile detention center. And so I'm open to doing, I mean, I'm open to so many different routes. I think I'm right now just kind of evaluating where yeah, this experience, knowledge, insight, and then we'll kind of just evaluate to see where that will take me. But I feel really for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm in a place that I need to be. And I don't know why doing the next best thing. No, I get that feeling of that's kind of how I felt when I started Candle Dark Room is it was started off as this a podcast. And now it's like yeah. a foundation. And I had dinner last night with a friend and she like, how did this even happen? And I was like, I have no idea. It just kind of, I was never expecting this or had oh, this in mind I at all. It was so beautiful. <laughs> it was literally in order for a podcast. And then my podcast, it kind of like, I've done some webinars and some speaking and then it became a group thing. And then now it's, I don't know, it just has rolled into this huge thing. And now we're having this retreat, you know, it's going to be a right. retreat. And I really want to do more of these and make them, um, I want to do two a year. I want to do like a fall and a summer or something like that, do something like that retreats. And I would love, you know, we'll talk about it, but I would love to have you come. I mean, so right now we're working on getting a, um, like office, like a building, like some type of like office facility 
mm -hmm. where people can physically have a location to come and have, you know, get the resources, the groups, the things that they need. And I would love for you to like teach some of these like classes and mm -hmm. do a couple of these things for not only for actual, the, you know, the children or the adolescents themselves, but for the parents, like you said, mm -hmm. parents that don't have this education and kind mm -hmm. of like, let people know that maybe people that are looking into fostering, you know, traumatized youth and all of that. I think it would be really helpful for people to hear from someone who's been there. So yeah, I would love for you to be involved yeah. in some way. And I think that you definitely have things coming that you're going to do some big things with already that you more than you do. I saw yesterday, you have like 50,000 people on TikTok. I don't even know what's right happening. <laughs> that's so funny. I love that. I saw that. And I was like, holy crap. That's awesome. I know. I just am like, oh, so I'm just so hopeful that people care about like these important topics. Like you're saying, like, yeah, they need to be talked about and raising awareness and the fact that people are listening or like care about these things. I'm like, right. That's hopeful for well, me. It's been needed for so long. You know, it's been, we've, you know, since I was a teenager, this stuff has been obviously with everything I dealt with and I had no, there was no resources for anything that I went through other than going to rehab. And other than that, like I didn't have groups for this type oh, of thing. There yeah. weren't support groups, there weren't education, there weren't, there was nothing like that. And so when I first started, when things kind of started rolling and happening and people started addressing me with doing, you know, kind of growing into something else, I realized like, oh, okay, this is actually so needed for so many reasons because like you, yes, I help adults and all of that too, but I am very focused on the youth because that's like you said, where the trauma starts. And if we can help and stop that, if I would have gotten the help I needed and the, you know, when I was a child before the trauma continued and all that, then I, I mean, my things would have changed drastically in my life and I wouldn't have had the long-term trauma that I have, you know? I mean, adult, but, you're probably dealing with adults just trying to heal their inner child. So. Oh, that's, I mean, that's literally what I do. My coaching things, my one-on-one, -on -one, every single one I've had so far has it's all started from trauma. That's where the root is, is tra childhood trauma. Yeah. And it always goes back to some type of childhood trauma. And so I think it's just so important. And I love, like I said, I love what you do. I've followed you for a while and we talked and you joined one of my groups before and all of Which that. Amazing, and by the way, <laughs> thank you so many people. Thank you so much. But yeah, I love that there's, I just feel like there's more people needed like you. And I love that you're willing to share your voice and just really educate people on what the reality is and what's needed and, you know, for our youth. So thank you for being a voice for them. Cause I think that's amazing. Well, thank you. I, yeah, I have such deep respect for you. So it's an honor to be on your podcast and just even, oh, of course. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you so much. No, of course. Thank you for so much for having it, for being on my podcast and for being a guest. I appreciate it. Like I said, I appreciate you being open and honest with people about how this works. And I'll definitely stay in contact with you about the foster thing, because like I said before, yes. I have lots of questions and I, you know, it's something I've been looking into and I really just feel like I need to kind of just keep following that and following that voice to figure out where this is going to lead. But if you, anybody that's listening to this has any questions about foster care, has any questions about how it works, how to do it, if they are foster parents and need advice, whatever it is, please contact Rachel. Um, you can follow her on Instagram at Rach Garrett, R-A-C-H-G-A-R-R-E-T-T. -T. So follow her on Instagram and she's also on TikTok. What is your TikTok handle? I think it's just Rach.Garrett. Rach.Garrett. Okay. Yeah, on my, yeah on find my, her on TikTok. I sometimes will 
occasionally share a video on there. So you'll probably see like what my TikTok handle okay. is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But TikTok is where she sends a, puts a lot of her content. She puts together like little videos about the education and stuff like that. So, well, thank you so much, Rachel, for being thank here. We you. appreciate it. Um, thank you guys, everybody who's listening. If you aren't following Candle in a Dark Room, make sure you do so. And we will talk to you guys next time. Thank you.